Warning, the following content is not politically correct. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to the channel today, everyone. So I do have a very special guest, but before we get going, I do want to remind you guys that Freedom Fest is coming up. I am speaking on Saturday, and um, a lot of great people that are going to be there. Um, come hang out, and you can use the code TRANSFORM50 to get $50 off, and then rates actually go up July 1st, so make sure you get them now. All right, so my guest today has been working hard um, to fight against the trans narrative that we're seeing, you know, queer theory and everything like that, that you guys know that I have spoke about quite a bit. Um, so without further ado, Christina Buttons, welcome. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, so we met and connected a little bit, uh, what about three weeks ago on Ariel's call-in call yeah, yeah, we were talking about Taylor Silverman and what was going on there. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you were the one that kind of broke that whole thing open to help get people over to support her, right? Yeah, I had I'd seen her post on Instagram pretty early and then I right away passed it along to Colin and because she would she had tagged some people in it like Ariel, I, I sent it to her as well. Um, but because it, it seemed like she wanted to get her story out there, like we just blew it up on Twitter and then it went viral pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the type of story that would, and you guys definitely have the reach to be able to connect with a lot of those audiences. And I think it was awesome. And just seeing, I, I, I talked to her today cause she's doing an event in DC and just seeing how how much support she got after you guys shared that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really sweet. Um, she had talked to, she had reached out to Colin and, and thanked him and, and said that it was a, when Colin had shared her post, it was when the hate kind of the overwhelming hate kind of flipped over into positive support. And yeah, she that's awesome. It. Yeah. So I want to kind of get some of your story. I want to see who you are. And so if I'm not mistaken, you are a former social justice warrior. Um, mm -hmm. So like, tell me about that and tell me like, what was your red pill moment that kind of opened your eyes? Well, it, there was, it was like a succession of red pills, I guess. Um, I guess to begin with, like I wasn't really that involved in politics up until 2020 when the pandemic happened and then I was pretty much like just glued to the news and you know my preferred channels were MSNBC, CNN. I thought that they were reliable news sources. I was a California Democrat my whole life. Uh, mm -hmm. My family was you know um, and then I because of the pandemic too, because I was just sort of like in isolation, I started getting involved in like these online communities, the online social justice community. And I'm an artist. So I, I started creating social justice art and it just effectively created this like echo chamber of people in the social justice realm. And that's where, you know, like I 
I mean, there's so many people that believed these things that, and, you know, the news and the mainstream media affirmed it for me. So I just, I believed it too. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until, um, well, I started, I started also working for this like uh, leftist propaganda page, like that cute social justice start I was making just sort of like eventually, like I got radicalized more and more into like this leftist ideology and i began working for a page called we fucking hate donald trump it had like seven hundred thousand followers on instagram um and it was you know pretty close to that to that 2020 election so that i you know i did things that i wasn't that i'm not proud of yeah. you know like i mean I said a lot of nasty things about, you know, 50% of the country. And I, I believe like, if you didn't vote for Biden, you were, you know, you've heard it all. Yeah. yeah uh, and then, oh, so, okay. So January, um, after Biden was inaugurated, I kind of realized like that this page I was working for, even though Trump wasn't president anymore, like they had no plan to, to stop like churning out outrage porn, which is what a, essentially was it was just it was just content that just got people riled up and emotional for clicks and things like that and to promote their brand they had a lifestyle brand and um i also got called a racist by the person that i was uh posting in the same time slot with who he's like info he's an infamous race baiter He's like known for getting people fired for their jobs and stuff like that. And it was at that point when I was like, wait a second, like, is this the racism crisis? Like they're calling people like me racist. And like, that doesn't seem right at all. And so I started dabbling into like, you know, like the heterodox voices and trying to make sense of everything. And then one thing after another, you know, like I, CRT was talked about a lot a year ago. And mm-hmm. I watched, you know, people like Joy Reid on MSNBC just flat out lie about it and try to manipulate people about it. Like, oh, it's not taught in schools. Oh, it's just it's just teaching history. I'm like, nah. If you take any of these issues and you just look into it deeper than the surface level and what mainstream media is telling you, like, it's very easy to get red-pilled. Same thing happened with ACLU and they're like anti-trans legislation the Republicans are so evil like if you actually read the legislation like it actually makes sense and then everything just falls apart you can't trust anything anymore <laughs> yeah okay that's it that's the whole I mean that's- and you went you seem to, you you've gone all in too <laughs> oh yeah it was like once you woke up I mean but that seems to be what always happens is we always say you know, the left will continue to eat their own because as soon as you step out of line, oh, that's yeah. when you that's when you wake up and realize it, right? I but say then, things that I don't think are controversial at all, and I still just get like onslaught of attacks. Like you're a white supremacist, you're a Nazi, you're a yeah, bigot. Yeah. It's like me getting called transphobic. I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> what are what are some of the things you get called a lot? Um, I mean, the same stuff, um, transphobic, turf, 
self-hating trans woman. Um, I've been called homophobic before, which was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, which I got called homophobic by uh, a gender critical person. Because that's, that is what's really interesting too, is because I get it from kind of both sides. Oh, where yeah. There's, there are some very staunch gender critical activists that would want like to cancel me and deplatform right? me. What's that? Like some of the feminists, right? Um, yeah, because that, and that's where the term like turf and stuff came from was it was like third wave feminists who didn't want to go into this fourth wave feminism that we're seeing right now. Um, both all leftists that are fighting each other. And so when we look at it from the rights perspective, it's not like they don't understand because they're not radical feminists, but the radical feminists understand it because that's where the fight initially started. Yeah. So I definitely get called all sorts of names and people see who I am and then they assume things about me. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting because it usually is like the woke allies that attack me more than anything. <laughs> it's not even usually as much trans people that attack me. But, woke allies, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> the ones yeah, that like speak on behalf of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's 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 the straight white it's the straight white liberals, right? That mm -hmm. always speak on behalf of the minorities, and that's what really in, it infuriates me is like this notion that we're seeing is I just posted about it today is like the left is so regressive, like they have these this bigotry of low expectations that they right. that they execute on people, so they don't feel like you can stand up for yourself, so they're gonna stand up for you. They have to protect you and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's a complex. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if it's been written before, but like someone should do kind of like a social science perspective or a psychology analysis of these, of people who like, they don't have a lot going for them in their lives. They need something and like social justice, speaking up for minorities, being an activist, like it's a, uh, it's something people do to make themselves feel better about their inadequacies yep. or their humdrum life. Yep. And they don't see the harm that they're actually doing because the populations that they're standing up for are literally looking at them going, you think so little of me that you have to do this? Don't do this in my name type things. And that's why we see so many people moving to the right and voting in the right because it's they're like you don't speak for me and that's not what we believe so so stop you know type type stuff i know i wish more people were brave like you to come forward and and talk about these things it's not easy i agree and that's why i i've i've called for more people to step up and and speak on these things because it is and and as like trans people i know trans people most transsexuals anybody who's a transsexual which is still the overwhelming majority of the population you know of, of trans people it's like most of them won't come out of their you know stealth lives and i i get that but yeah. these people are creating a perception of you that you're gonna ha you might have to live with it at some point when somebody finds out they're gonna have this perception of you and it's usually not going to be in line with reality yeah i feel like trans people are getting a really bad rap from yeah. activists these days i feel like things are worse now than they than they've ever been 
Yeah. And now, so you've moved, because that's kind of where your main focus seems to be a lot, right? Is in trans discord, like the queer theory activism against mm -hmm. that type of activism uh, discord, right? Yeah, I mean, once you get into it, like, it's like, it's a black hole, it sucks in. I think I made a tweet the other day, because I was watching, or I had something on in the background, it was like a true crime series, I'm like, it is kind of like watching a true crime series, like, unfold before your eyes, because of, like, the, the, the medical abuse that's happening with yeah. kids, you know, just based on, like, activists pushing on them yeah and i i think a lot of that is more than just activists i mean it's almost by design because if you can get um so many people hooked on these drugs you know these these sustaining drugs then big pharma has a new customer for life oh yeah for sure yeah no the medical institutions too like they've i mean i can't say for sure like they've been ideologically captured but like there might be in that incentive as well i mean yeah. it's pretty lucrative um, business right now what's that it's it is I mean, yeah and i mean that i i again I, I just did a video on how government and big pharma has seemed to work together to where big pharma used to be like the enemy of the people right like the left used to champion against them. Like there are these evil corporations that make millions off of, off of, you know, off the backs of sick people. And now they're pushing everything that comes to the left. They're glorifying their SSRI use. They're trans, you know, trying to get all these trans kids or these kids hooked on, on these medical, on these lifelong me medical interventions. And then um, we won't say the C word, but, you know the yeah. <laughs> the redacted yeah <laughs> um and, and that's it's really interesting how that whole thing has flipped but then you know government also bans the use of you know marijuana and mushrooms and all this other stuff that's been shown to help because big farmer doesn't make money off of those things yeah i mean hopefully that'll change as more research comes out like this stuff yeah. on mushrooms has been interesting and I feel like we're getting closer, incrementally closer with uh, getting weed legalized in more states. Yeah, I think that's coming. I mean, it is moving that needle and everything like that. Um, even even here in Georgia, I mean, we don't even have medicinal, oh, we have very minimal medicinal marijuana use here, but I was working on a Republican campaign and I've met a lot of Republicans and it's like, a lot supported as well here so it's just getting them to actually pass the legislation is, is the hard part mm. um but what got like kind of what got you involved like what made you kind of move into the trans issues like what were you seeing that really shifted your direction that way because you were talking crt yeah. and stuff earlier yeah. but what shifted your direction towards trans discourse well, in general? i feel very strongly that if gender ideology were in vogue in the early 2000s, as it is today, like I would have been one of them. I identify so much with the girls that I've uh, heard detransition and like, they just sound exactly like me. Plus I'm like on the autism spectrum and it affects a lot of girls um, 
who are undiagnosed or on a, or diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, I remember reading uh, Helena's detransition story and I'm like, I never get emotional. And that made me emotional. Cause I'm like, it was like reading something I had written. And yeah. I mean, I was, when I was 12, I was already just deeply depressed and self-conscious. I was like, flat as a board, everybody else was developing. I felt like a freak. I felt like less of a girl. If someone had come along and told me like I could be a boy trapped in a girl's body, I would have, I would have latched onto that idea. And I, in my like obsessive compulsive tendencies would have just dwelled on it and convinced myself, found confirmation bias everywhere. Like, oh, well, I wear baggy clothes and I don't get along with girls. And I liked boy things growing up like Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and I would have just found evidence over and over and again that it was a boy trapped in a girl's body and then I would have wanted to transition and I would have went on hormones and I would have I just would have at that age like I would have done anything to feel better because I was so depressed like I went on to end up becoming anorexic and cutting myself and ending up in hospitals over and over again I spent from 15 to 16 in a long-term residential treatment facility in Utah, which is a story for another time. <laughs> it's yeah. the one that Paris Hilton is like petitioning. She went to it too. She went there earlier than I had, but I had a very different experience than she did. Um, but I just know it would have definitely gotten to me. And like, that's why I like, I think, there, there's no way all these girls are actually trans. They're just hurting yeah. and they're looking for an escape. And I need to tell them that this is not the way they're going to just destroy their bodies and make themselves even more miserable. Yeah. It's been heartbreaking to watch, um, to watch it happen. It, it, yeah. I mean, I, cause I, I hate to be like that person. Like I, I've been kicked out of trans Reddit groups, like a lot of them, I, a couple of them, be, because a couple of years ago I was saying, well, no, trans trenders are real. Um, and Is that what called trans trender. Yeah. So people that are um, kind of pretending to be trans for clout type stuff or, or they're they kind of getting wrapped up into it. That yeah, they, they don't are. actually have gender dysphoria. Young it's people like wrapping like, on onset stuff. Yeah, it's really easy to convince yourself of something like that. If everybody else is saying it and doing peers of yours, and like it seems to be everywhere, and it's like yeah. they think it's like this common phenomenon being born in the wrong body. Like, oh, that must be why I'm so unhappy too. And then they get, oh, drugs will fix it. It's like they, they offer this, they give them the problem and the solution, but they're really just creating more problems for themselves. Yeah. And, and then they start realizing later and exactly what I, I thought would happen is once the detransition rate skyrocket, I said, I said, trans trenders are real. And once the detransition rate skyrocket, it's going to actually hurt trans people, like actual trans people. And that's what we're seeing yeah, as and, and as detransitioners come out and the rates skyrocket, you have people saying, well, maybe, you know, I don't think anybody's trans type stuff. Yeah. 
which obviously isn't true. Um, but I, and, and this is the thing is I, I support detransitioners because I think it's important for their stories to get out there to give people the most accurate information that yes, yes this can ruin your life. Um, so their stories are so valuable to be like, this is the other side of the story and look at what's happening. Maybe you just, maybe you're, you need something else is the issue, you know? And, and part of the issue is, is that therapists are just going along with it now too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And writing those letters of, you know, to the medical institutions, they only need one, you know, from yeah. a gender affirming therapist, just acknowledge Like it would do so much for the trans community to just acknowledge that there is a social mm -hmm. contagion element and um, I think that that would just help so much. Just don't deny facts. Don't deny yeah. realities. Like yeah. everybody can have what they want. Trans people can live the lives that they want, but we need to just, we all need to accept certain facts and realities yeah. to get there. Like you said, the, the, because I, I hate the term rapid onset gender dysphoria because I don't believe it's gender dysphoria. It's typical adolescence, you know, it's yeah, not being comfortable in yourself. And so it's not necessarily gender dysphoria, but I think that's why I like that it's shifted over to say that the social can to say that this is a social contagion. Um, it's not actually gender dysphoria, but it's something else. It's peer pressure. It's, you know, that's, I mean, it's rapid onset peer pressure transition type stuff. You know, I don't, I don't like them conflating the two words as much. It's also expanding the definition and Colin has a great piece coming out about this soon. We're not sure where it's going to be published yet, but it's, it's pretty great. I mean, he looks at all of the different definitions from all the major websites of, of transgender and how like they've shifted over the years. And now they just generally mean like they, they like, it's like an umbrella term that includes gender non-conforming people. And like, yeah. That's not the same thing as gender dysphoria. Like you can't, yeah. you can't do that to people. That's the worst part about it. That's I think that's what's really interesting is because now this is where it kind of gets conflated left and right issues too because it's like we on the right we should be people on the right should be saying gender nonconformity is okay to yeah. combat this. But then you see somebody that's kind of gender nonconforming out there doing their own thing and it's like this whole that's wrong too. And it's like, well, you can't, you're not going to combat one without the other. Like you have to pick one. <laughs> and I would rather mm -hmm. pick the non-medical interventionist, you know, let people just mm -hmm. be who they are and wear what they want, but they don't have to medically transition. We need to be, be t telling them that that's okay. Like to want to wear dresses and you're a boy, that's fine, but don't medically transition. Yeah. That seems to be a common thing. I've seen a lot. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for parents of trans kids and that seems to be like a very common thing with like parents of three-year-old boys who like to wear dresses i'm like yeah why wouldn't they <laughs> like that yeah. doesn't mean anything they also um what is it called oh yeah it's called gender constancy theory can't remember the name of the guy but it's like this it's, it's decades old social psychology theory that a lot of activists have been trying to discredit, but it's kind of remarkable. Like across generations, you, you, it's an experiment. You do it with kids. 
like between three and seven year olds, you give them a Barbie and a Ken and Barbie's wearing, carrying the purse. And then you give the purse, you ask the, you ask the child who's between three and seven is when this, you know, developmental stage is. And they say the girl, because she has, has the purse, is the girl and the guy is a guy. But then when you give the purse to the Ken doll, then Ken becomes a girl, if you ask one of the kids. And then, I mean, it's it's really interesting. They just, they at that age, they believe, like, if a boy puts on a dress, he can become a girl. They just don't have this grasp on yeah. reality yet. So there's just no reason or sense why we're transitioning kids at that age or listening to them putting those ideas in it's their head like that young is so weird because again like you said why wouldn't they want to wear a dress i mean boys like pretty things you know it's like they see them and, and there's also a little bit of what i mean what is it the oedipus complex would come into play a little bit too where ex except for almost the reverse oedipus complex right instead of wanting to be with your mother it's you want to be like your mother type thing and it's it, yeah I could see that. I could see that coming I'm into play sure. a little bit more. It, but what's really interesting now is they want to please their parents too. They yeah. want to please adults. It's like they want to if they're if they're getting encouraged by adults to say certain things yeah. that they they get the reaction that they want, or their parents make a little video of it and like it's like yeah. a performance. Now it's interesting too because the little kids in that range are usually the young boys. Because it's not the young girls that are coming out and saying a lot of this stuff until middle school, high school time frame, right? Which right. so uh, the spike has not been nearly as big for, you know, male to female. The spike has been absolutely crazy for females, female mm -hmm. to male or female to non-binary, whatever they are going by. Um, but it's really interesting because, yeah, the, the young kids, it seems like it's girls or it's boys. Yeah, and I think it has a lot to do to, to do with gender ideology or whatever the gender identity lessons or something like that that they want to teach kids. It's just it's because it's all based in stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So if a girl doesn't feel like I mean, there's literally there's like a a lesson where they compare like Barbie is the highest whatever it's called. Like she's she's the most representative of the most feminine and then uh gi joe is representative of the most masculine so like where do you they give this lesson to kids where do you fall on this and it's like the gender unicorn yeah it's it's nuts to me because it's like basically saying like oh well if you don't fall into these categories of like hyper feminization then you will you're not really a woman like, and you're, you have a gender identity that's something else, and it could be a boy, and that's why you don't look like she does. And it's, I think it would be very confusing for young people. Why do you think we're seeing so much of this now, though? What do you think's kind of driving it? It's, it's kind of like this, this perfect storm of everything that's happened. Oh, I mean, from, I mean, and it started when queer theory came out of academia and then it, all of the things happening to where we need, we have this like social justice movement based on transgender rights. And then 
TikTok and then like the pandemic when everybody's cooped up inside and on social media and like all of these different elements creating this perfect storm that we're in right now trying to navigate. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because you did mention um, the autism spectrum spectrum as well earlier. And it's like, that is a huge issue. And so when you lock people in their homes with the internet and stuff like that, and you get them on TikTok, it, I mean, it seems like that is a vulnerable community to be told something oh, yeah. that they not necessarily are. Well, yeah, for me too, like I was diagnosed really late with Asperger's and it's because like the, the diagnostic criteria was really written for boys. People thought it was just a disorder that affected mostly boys. And as we're learning, girls just sort of like their, their symptoms sort of like they're expressed differently. Like girls can become obsessive over things like animals or like a, their favorite band or something like for me, I was like huge, hugely into Lord of the Rings when I was an adolescent, but like they, their special interests are different things. That's what I'm trying to say. Like with boys, like they thought it was more like mechanical things like trains and stuff like that. But like, and girls, I guess are better at sort of socially adapting and masking. Um, but the point is, I feel like there are a lot of girls that go undiagnosed with Asperger's and they're, they're, they know, like I knew that there was something wrong with me. Like I always had this feeling like I didn't fit in. I was different from everybody else. I didn't, I couldn't find friends. I couldn't find people to be my friends <laughs> because I was just, I felt so awkward. And um, I know that there's a lot of girls out there that are, that feel that way and they find the, these online communities like I had and, you know, they're finding other people who are coming out as trans and like finally becoming happy and being part of a community and getting all of this like approval and praise and things that they really wanted that, that they get from the trans community. But yeah. like, it's, it's a bandaid, like it's not gonna, it's not gonna solve your problems. For some people it will, I mean, for some people it will, but like, I think a vast majority, especially the, the young girls, especially the ones on the autism spectrum, like they're, they're not going to be any happier. Yeah. Maybe for a short while until they realize like that they had made a terrible mistake. Well, and it's interesting that you say that too, because I can say that growing up almost felt the same way. So it's almost like gender dysphoria and, and that, for you was very similar because I knew there was something wrong with me or something different about me by, you know, the age of four years old. I, I remember trying to dress when I was four years old, but I knew something was different because I was drawn to it. And then even in puberty, it was like, I was so envious of women that I couldn't just, and I would obsess about that. I would obsess that. I wish that I could just be a girl for a day type stuff um, just to see what it was like. And, and so it's, I find it that's something I hadn't really ever heard. So, um, yeah, because it, it does. It kind of seems to mask itself the same way in adolescence, um, which could also be what's a key contributor. And it could be what's a key contributor in just the the medical community 
they 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 hide each other so well and so you could be you could absolutely be right that so many people are just not going diagnosed with yeah. the right disease yeah i think i think that is a big part of it yeah so you just posted this i'm gonna share something real quick um let's see. So this, you've been posting this a lot. So I am, what is going on with this? Uh, just kind of give a rundown of what's up with this. Well, um, I just decided to look up some gender clinics one day and decided to do kind of like a thread on them. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a, a gender clinic in San Francisco, UCSF. They have four different locations there. They treat children as young as three, typically three to 17 with, I'm guessing it begins with social transition. I'm guessing they don't put three-year-olds on anything, but that's still like such a young age to take someone to a gender clinic. And we know from, from studies that like, soon as you social transition then like it just starts this progression it starts this fast track into a sex change yeah so it, it's called uh no what is that called um sucking cost fallacy so you feel like you're already yes. deep and you might as well keep going yeah colin had said i was asking about that what is that what was that fallacy called and he said something about that we want to write a post about that too and of course they say that puberty blockers are completely reversible and i mean that's just it's so wild to me because like that comes from the on-label use of puberty blockers for precocious puberty which is a real yeah. condition happens in especially in girls from like five six seven where they start experiencing some symptoms of puberty mm -hmm. and it is effectively like a pause button for puberty at that age. Yep. But the way that it's used now during adolescence, like they, those kids all come off of the puberty blockers before around the time that their puberty is supposed to start, yeah. which is a perfect sense. And that's why they call puberty blockers reversible and like a pause button. But it, out of used out of context off label to treat gender dysphoria in adolescence is completely insane to say that it's completely reversible and like a pause button like it's it's not intended for that use there's no evidence no long-term studies i mean all of the yeah, development that's happening at that time like you can't just pause it yeah like your body needs to develop <laughs> Well, that's yeah. They're they're doing it at key de de developmental years, and yeah, even for so long, I believe this. I I was one of these people that believed that they were completely reversible, um, because it seemed right. But because they've used them for thirty years for precocious puberty, and mm -hmm. but yeah, now that the studies are starting to come out, it's like it it affects your. It, I mean, and it makes sense. It affects IQ. Um, and obviously, yeah. thankfully, Marcy Bowers is out here now raising the red flag about stuff. So, and she's now the president of WPATH. So, hopefully, we start to see some. Oh, changes, but... she is. Yeah, I put yeah. in this post. I do a few things from WPATH because 
UCSF uses WPATH as their, those are their recommendations yep. for surgeries. Yeah. Under That's what everybody does. I mean, I don't know a trans person or a trans doctor that doesn't use WPATH. Um, very few that will um, skip WPATH guidance for adults for surgery. So anybody over the age of 18, they can, they'll actually do a, you can do a surgery and on uh, informed consent, which you're over 18. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I, here's the thing with like, when you're over 18, like, yeah, I would say you should probably be hesitant to like do anything drastic to your body. But like, I mean, it's not, it's not that different to me. Like to get, if you really want to get your, your breasts removed, like it's not that different to me than getting a boob job or, or getting exactly. filler in your lips or something. Or, there's been so many things people can do to modify their body. Like if, if you want to look more feminine, you get implants and, and injections and things like that. If you want to look more masculine, you can get a double mastectomy if you really want to. Like, it's all just a matter of like how you want to present, but you gotta, you gotta know that you really, really are going to be happy with it because you can't yeah. get healthy breast tissue back. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely cannot. And so to do it to 16 year olds is, is insane to me, um, which I've yeah. always been against. I've always been, been against 16 year olds getting breast augmentation, which people, you know, pay for their kids to get those at for their 16th birthday, 16th birthday. So it's just, it, it goes both ways. It doesn't make any sense. I guess that can happen. I don't know any cases of that happening though. Yeah, I think um, I I've heard of it. I've, I, 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 think when I posted that somebody said that they know something like somebody they went to high school with had it done, but um, so now this UCSF article though, it was really interesting because at the bottom, you pointed out that again, it, it shows that they are prioritizing social justice and health e equity. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. They say they have that like on every page. It's like such a big part of their whole identity. Um, but if the so most weird. interesting part was the other slide, the one that oh, had the okay. editor's note. Okay, let me see. That, I think I had that one. Too. It went pretty viral on Twitter. It was like 900 something retweets. Yeah, that. This one. Which is just, it's wild to me that so, they admit to this even. So it's in, the, in the absence of solid evidence, providers must rely on expert opinions of innovators and thought leaders. Innovators and thought leaders, which is so another way of not, saying that. So, so yeah, they're they're not looking at expert opinions. Or, yeah. Wait, that's that, no, those aren't scientists. Those are yeah, right. innovators, thought leaders. The ones that are saying like you need to transition kids, or they're gonna kill themselves. Yeah, the one that's putting again putting ideas into kids' heads, um, creating a um, foregone foregone conclusion, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's really what that's doing. Telling, telling, telling kids and telling parents, telling, telling a child that if you don't transition, you're probably trans. And if you don't transition, then you're going to kill yourself. What is that doing? That's going to tell them that, oh, I'm probably just going to kill myself. That is what I see a lot in these activist, 
um, these activist-led Facebook groups for parents of trans kids. It's it's the same the same rhetoric there, but like so so parents go to these groups because their kid came to them and said like, oh, I think I'm a boy or I'm, I'm non-binary now or something like that, and they don't in these groups they're private like they don't allow any you know like critical thinking or dissent of any kind so you get banned because if you don't affirm the child's identity then you're transphobic and then you get kicked out um but it's really interesting to watch because you can you click on somebody's name and you see their first post and you just watch the progression like oh my kid came out to me today. I'm kind of new and lost. Like I was looking for support. And then, you know, then it's like six months later, we're getting a puberty blocker implant into my 12 year old's throat today. Like, nice. Yeah. I, I, it's heartbreaking when I hear those stories. It's interesting because I've, I've like in the same week I heard, um, multiple stories. So again, conservative, very conservative people. Um, this one person was bragging about their, their grandchild who, um, they, uh, went, they were like 10 years old and they were getting put on puberty blockers and they knew my stance on puberty blockers. And they're like, Oh yeah, you don't. I'm like trying to tell them like, well, I mean, this is, there's issues. Like, these are the issues. Like, and I, and now it's like, again, I want to send the clips of Marcy Bowers talking about sexual function and um, even how it, you know, surgery is almost impossible without complications when you, when you take puberty blockers that young. Yeah. Right. Like what happened to Jazz Jennings and like, or, um, Nugent Scott Nugent oh yeah yeah from the documentary yeah it's yeah it's it's amazing well female to male transitions um having bottom surgery is is they all the the note is it's not if you have complications it's when and which is why most uh male or female to male do not have surgery because there's not really a good way to do it. It's a little bit yeah. easier to go female to male or male to female when when having bottom surgery. Yeah. Can't create something that's not there. <laughs> yes. Whereas this uh, actor from this episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit like crudely said, it's easier to dig a hole than build a pole. <laughs> I that is true. Always, like I watched every episode of Law and Order SVU, and like you know, there was an episode based on that famous case of the sociologist who decided to raise one of these twins yeah. as a girl because they John had money. Yeah, yeah, they had they botched the circumcision, so they decided to raise them as a girl. So they they. They did a Law and Order episode about that. I remember. It's interesting because um, both left and right get that wrong. I think. Um, yeah, they both have different right. interpretations of it. Yeah, they, say, like they both, both say that. Right. Both say that that it validates their 
yeah theory or whatever yeah because the 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 uh the child was not knew he couldn't be a girl so it's like the right will say well that shows that we're right like trans people don't exist but then left and the left are going well this just shows that you're born trans you know but that's it's it's really interesting because they both get they both get validation out of using that on their side it's really weird (laughs) when when the reality is probably somewhere in the middle (laughs) yeah i think it goes to show that like you just you can't raise somebody as i don't know what i'm trying to say actually um the 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 sociologists who are all nurture without any regard to nature that's what i'm trying to say it's like it just doesn't work like you need nature too yep yeah i mean it is and it's it's and that's yeah it's like you can't make somebody gay you know, and, and, but the left will be like, well, everybody's gay. <laughs> you know, it's going to bring it out of them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so regressive. Um, that's, that's all you can really see is it's so regressive. Um, and that's kind of brings me to, did you see the, uh, the news today that because of everything that happened with the swimming stuff earlier this week, where FINA banned basically males from female sports, which is a great thing, the Biden administration moved to remove Title IX rights for women in favor of gender identity protection. Essentially, they they it's actually you made about they it. added they added protections to trans people. So basically, they're erasing Title IX. Or they're trying to t- erase Title IX. I've seen that over and over. Like, like women's sex-based rights are just becoming not a thing. Like the reasons, when we were looking at like the PayPal and Etsy reasons for kicking Colin off their platforms, like they don't list women at all as like, or sex as like a protected, a protected group. It's gender identity now. Yeah very strange to me that you wouldn't include sex as like a protected group for women yeah and again that's that's a i mean just using the word gender identity doesn't make any sense to me like the word identity and this is a rant that i've been on before but it's like the word identity or using saying i identify it just shows that it's not based in medical reality. Like I, I don't identify as a woman. Like I have gender dysphoria and I've transitioned and I'm a trans woman. That's why I don't like the term trans women are women. It's trans women are trans women because we're not the same mm-hmm. type stuff, you know, but just saying and gender identity wrong is with that weird. Either. Yeah. I everybody should have that attitude and embrace it. Like be proud to be a trans woman. Yep. Do it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't exactly I don't get it. Like it's almost I I look at it almost as if just saying trans women are women erases my identity too. Like yeah. Because again, I don't know what it's like to go through puberty as a female. I I've never had a I can't have a period. I can't have kids. Like there's so much I didn't grow up. I mean, I didn't transition until I was in my 30s. I actually got out of the army and and started to explore again you know and i but i've lived with my whole life but i don't know what it's like but at the same time a woman doesn't know what it's like to grow up and 
not feel right and not feel comfortable in their own body and feel like they're, you know, have that envy in the, of, of the opposite sex. So it, it's like, why would you, I've, I've had to go through a lot, you know, to transition. So why would I want to erase, like, why would I want to erase my identity as well? So it's kind of goes exactly. both ways again. I wish, I wish people could see it that way. Yeah. I mean, we should all be able to, but there's, there's just so much incentive to like disagree with people because it, it can elevate your platform. Like it happens on Twitter all the time. You see people who have giant platforms and you think like, what do they say that's that special? They just, they just rile people up and call people out. And in doing so, like grabs a lot of attention, puts a lot of attention on them and they get more followers that way. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's very I, but that, that goes back to your days that your red pilling moment that you were talking about earlier. It's like the people that you were working with, it's like, that's what they do. It's just there to rile people up and mm -hmm. it, it, it just creates more divisiveness and it's, it, it's people can't see past black and white anymore. And that's the issue with Twitter. It's like, I can say something and everybody will disagree. It, it will be like something like they'll, they'll, throw me under the bus and say all my politics are all this or all my politics are all that like i could i can point out that donald trump was for red flag laws and people are like oh you're such a lefty and all this other stuff and it's like no i'm just pointing out a fact you know <laughs> that's that's part of the issue with discourse today as well is i try to i especially on this issue there is a lot of middle ground to be found um but it's hard to get people to talk about it and find middle ground it's like, yeah. why can't we just call them female sports instead? Of, stop calling them women's sports and call them female sports. That would erase a lot of the discourse, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it really, I mean, I don't know how we got to this point where people are just denying basic biological reality that like men, when they go through puberty, they're stronger, they're faster than women. Like it's just. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Now, um, like you said, in platforms won't even let you talk about it. Like you were talking about um, Colin getting kicked off of PayPal. Like that is, you know, Sydney Watson getting kicked off Patreon. Like that type of stuff is just insane to me. Like these platforms and it's platforms like payment processors you wouldn't think would have would be so woke because it's like they're not even putting people out there like nobody would even know if you had a paypal account but they vindictively went after him which is crazy mm -hmm. and people like chris rufo still use paypal it's like it was very it, they both happened within like a week of each other too so you like you just know that someone's going through and i mean i i get it too like i i had i tried to retrain some of my friends from when i was a social justice warrior because I had I had some good connections with people, but there's there's some trolls who like go to them into their DMs and say, I noticed that you're following Buttons Live Still and she's a Nazi right wing transphobic evil person. And if you don't unfollow her, I'm gonna tell everybody that you are friends with her or something like that. And they listen. So I don't have 
I have very, very few. I can only think of one person who has remained my friend and still follows me from back when I was a social justice warrior. Now, are those people that you know, like, personally, real life friendships? Some of them I had met in real life and, like, I felt like I had a, a friendship with, but apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> apparently I mean, there, I've, I've had those moments even just in the liberty movement among people that I, I feel like I'm friends with them online, but now we don't even, like, they have me blocked and stuff like that. But that's a little bit different. Now, I will say in real life, I have people that are on the left and they do stuff on, you know, and stuff like that. We just don't talk politics. It's like we can, we actually get along really well. Like, we're cool. We just, we just can, we just know we disagree on, like, the political issues. And, and stuff like that so we don't even talk about them and we remain friends to this day and there are stuff we agree on like if if they're posting politics stuff i will be like i agree with this um i had a conversation with one person who um she was posting stuff about pronouns and why it's important to use trans people's correct pronouns or ask and actually it was it's important to ask somebody's pronouns and i just went into her dms i said you know the issue is is that for transsexuals we transition and then to ask me my pronouns can create a lot of dysphoria and she was and i basically gave her that take and she's like well i've never i've never heard that take before so it's like that's interesting and she basically asked do you think if we just normalized it for everybody it would make sense i'm like i don't think it makes sense to change the language and force people to do something based on you know, less than half percent of a population. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. I'm gonna have a problem with that because it's it 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 starts getting into like compelled speech. You know. Yeah. Um. Personally, like, I don't have a problem. Like, I'll use anybody's pronouns that they want me to within reason, as long as they're not mm -hmm. like cake gender noun self type pronouns. Yeah. Um, I won't use it. For, I won't use it. Period. That is, I, I've fought against the people using the word it for so long. not realize the connection between using the pronoun it and like that horrific book about child abuse called A Child Called It? Like, are people not making that connection? I, I, well, I honestly didn't even know that was a book, but to me, it just makes a whole lot of connection anyways that it's like, it's, using the word it is so dehumanizing. It's like with the, it's what... Yeah. It's what, like what like the people that used to hate trans people would call us because they didn't see us as people. They saw us as things and freaks and it's like that's what they would use. So it, yeah. I, I, I can't I, I just won't I won't use that for anybody who, who <laughs> I won't. And I will. I'll try to use the right pronouns for a lot of people, even in online discourse. Um, but there are some limitations and I don't mind people that do it to those who want to compel speech. Like I say, respect is given where respect is earned. Like for me personally, if you slip up, I don't really care. It's, but if, if you are maliciously, you know, calling me he, him and all that stuff, I'm not going to, I'll just disassociate. I'm not going to be like, you have to do this. No, I'll just disassociate. Why do I want to be around that? It's, uh, it's not yeah. something I, I feel like doing, which I, again, that's not the take that's so many you know, on the left had, they want to force, they want to make it a crime to misgender, which is, again, that's insane to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they attach like statistics to it or something like that, which I'm like, 
I don't think you understand statistics if you're yeah. saying that, yeah. that this misgendering someone is the cause for like this huge exponential rise in suicides and trans people. I'm like, it's probably something else. It's yeah, it's probably tell them that they're trans when they're not trans and they get stuck in that sunken cost fallacy or you're telling yes. them that they're trans or that you're telling them that if they don't transition, then then they will hurt themselves. Um, it's also I, I the right. I mean, it's it's not even just among trans people. LGBT suicide rate has gone up over the years as well. Um, and again, I mean, the more we see SSRI use, the more we're seeing that that is having an impact on a lot of people. Um, it, yeah, you're you're doing some research into that. Yeah, yeah. I I put an article out on Substack, and I put um, I did a video. Ariel was in the video um, talking about her use of SSRIs because they work for her, but she was also on one medication that absolutely didn't do it. Like absolutely made it worse. Like everything worse. Um, so when you're um, and studies are showing that yeah, for long term use, they're not good for overall well being long term. No. And forty percent, forty percent of people get emotional numbness from SSRI use. I actually liked the emotional numbness part. Of it. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned to you that I was, I've been off my antidepressant for like, I don't know, two months or something now. I can't remember exactly, mm -hmm. but I was on it for like four years—a pretty high dose of Pristique. Uh, I've and like, right, it's an SS norepinephrine. Okay, yeah, the NI. NRI, not an yeah. SSRI, SNRI. Serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Yeah. Um, but no, it was great for the time that I was on it. And then I moved here and I don't have health insurance. So I figured now's a good time to stop taking it. And yeah. oh my God. The withdrawals are horrible. Like the brain zaps. Nobody warns you about that. It's like this electric shock that goes through your body, but it happens every few seconds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that people need to understand about that too. Like when I approach my doctor about going on some anxiety medication, um, that was my concern was I said, I don't, I've heard of people basically becoming zombies. And she said, and I never got that Lexapro. Lexapro didn't do like anything for me. It, it, it made me feel, I guess, a little bit better, but I, we even upped my dose and it didn't do anything. Like I, it helped my anxiety, I guess, a little bit. So, but I didn't get like the emotional numbness and stuff like that. But I, I started going to the gym and I, I, I stopped taking them. I'm like, that's, this isn't good. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be on these things. I'm just going to stop taking them. And I kind of was, done with the career that um you know i was i had just gotten out of corporate america and i wasn't feeling as stressed anymore like it was i was realizing that having very toxic people in my life is what was causing a lot of that for me so again it would have been nice though to know that and have doctors that talk to me about that type of stuff mm -hmm. You know, when I was a kid, when I was young too, when I was in all those hospitals, I was always, they would just always try different medications on me and nothing really like helped. Um, yeah. But then I started taking a Pristique when I was an adult and it did help, but like 
it's not so i don't think it's supposed to be for long-term use yet i was on mm -hmm. it for a long time yeah <sighs> like well, it should help so for like people in the short term and then like you find find another way that's that's, More that's on i think that we're we'll see and we'll see what happens um they're finding that um, after just two sessions of LSD psychotherapy, they can have lasting effects for up to a, a year. Um, so hopefully that stuff starts getting approved soon. But I don't hold hope because, again, I think Big Pharma and um, it does will use government to not lose their grasp on that market. Um, I just don't know. So, um, but yeah, so you guys, you guys, you just said you moved. So you moved from California, California. to Nashville. Yes. How do you Nashville. like it? <laughs> How do you like yeah. it? You're not that far from me. Yeah. We, if you ever come through here, I'd love to visit with you. Well, I have, uh, I'll tell you off, off air, um, stuff, but I do have a family that lives kind of up in that area. Um, I, I have quite a few friends that live up there too, so I have to. We have, have a friend, another friend in Atlanta. You need to get out there too. Are you near Atlanta? I live in Atlanta. You live in Atlanta? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Definitely have to. We have like a bucket list of things that we've been wanting to do this summer. That's like we just spend so much time working and yeah. sucked into our online spheres. It's hard to get. Absolutely, I, I completely get that. Um, what, what made you guys, like I said, like I said earlier, you guys kind of just dove right into getting out of, getting out of that leftist culture. Is that what kind of led you guys to leaving California or what was it? Well, I had a, I had kind of, I've been living in LA, which already isn't the best part of California. Cause I, I grew up in San Francisco Bay area, which is beautiful. And I lived a long time in San Diego where my family is. And those are already just much nicer places than LA. But I was in LA for school and a boyfriend, but I had realized, you know, before, around the time before the pandemic started, like, I'm not going to school anymore. I don't have any like attachments to LA. Like I should just move. But then, you know, pandemic struck. It wasn't really a good time to leave the country or leave the state. <laughs> and then, yeah, I got the opportunity to live someplace pretty cool because my friend Lisa lives in a castle in Hollywood, in the Hollywood Hills. And I got to rent out her, um, It was it's like the dungeon or like the servants' quarters for a bit. So I lived there for a little bit. But every time I went into, the, into town just, you know, to go to the gym or the grocery store, it's like... I mean, it's Hollywood is now, it's kind of like an extension of Skid Row. It was rough. It was, it was brutal to see that every single day. And that was uh, another reason, like I, why I really wanted to get out of LA because of just, it was very depressing. And I just wanted to be around wildlife and trees. And Colin and I had visited Nashville a year ago about last August and like we were just kind of overwhelmed by how beautiful and green and lush it was and really liked the the kind of culture here and mm -hmm. decided that you know we're both working from home 
on our computers anyway. We can live anywhere and pay considerably less rent than we do in California. So it just, mm -hmm. we just did it. We just got this cool apartment complex overlooking this man-made lake, but it's gorgeous. Like it's so beautiful here. That's awesome. It's very, very good decision. Yeah, I, I do love that area. It's, it's beautiful up there. I, I love the East Coast. I've always lived on the East Coast. So through all my time, I've, I've loved everywhere. I, I, I was stationed at Fort Campbell, which is about 45 minutes north of Nashville. So I know the oh, area yeah. well. <laughs> but, oh. but okay. Um, so um, where can people find you? on instagram and twitter is buttons lives and just buttonslives.com buttonslives.substack.com i started a substack um you should write something for colin substack though he's taking submissions now like that sunken okay. cost fallacy would be extremely interesting yeah i think to explore more yeah, I will. Uh, I'll send him some stuff. That'd be good. Um, yeah, I'm also like I have, uh, now that it'll like okay. it'll link directly back to your Substack with the oh, collaboration oh. feature. That's mm -hmm. nice. Like, is there you you can write a Substack. He can share it on his, but in, and then add you as a collaborator, and it just links right to your Substack. It's pretty neat. Yeah, um, and that's what's interesting. So I am also on the. Um, I'm on the part of the beta program for the videos. So I have videos that are going to be on Substack too. So like my last art, my last, my last article, I posted, um, a Substack exclusive, I posted actually yesterday. So I posted a Substack exclusive video with it as well, which I'm going to put it here on YouTube next week. But, um, yeah, right now it's up on Substack with attached article yeah so it's it's about um about gay men not being allowed to donate blood when basically a trans woman can self id and do it i even have like an audio call where i called the red cross and asked them their policy and yeah. it was pretty good that's yeah funny. i did not know that they were doing video on substack now that's great yeah so i have i mean this will be on there as well um because all my podcasts so all my interviews are podcast episodes as well just not video and so this will be this will go on there as well for as a podcast episode. So, awesome. um, yeah, I'm just getting started doing um, on that site. So I'm I'm excited to see what it has. But I wanted to see if there's I can do videos on there and be, you know, because I I like locals, but locals you can't you have a data cap, so I can't post as much as I would want to exclusive content on there. Whereas Subtech doesn't seem to have any caps like that. So I'm I'm interested to see what I can, you know, put stuff behind the paywall that way, which will be good. Um, just more exclusive behind the scenes, like of my life. Like when I'm going to Vegas, there's going to be a lot of like reels and stuff posted that are going to be posted. Are you going to the conference? Yeah. So I am. Conference? Yeah. What's that? Colin speaking at that. Which one? I really wanted to go. Uh, Wait, which conference? The, the women's sports conference coming up. Oh, no, that, that's different. That's different. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a women's sports conference coming. I know that there's one in DC. That's, that's this weekend. Uh, Which conference in Vegas is it? There's another one. So I'm going to Freedom Fest. Oh, right. That's, that's the other one. 
Yeah, so going to Freedom yeah. Fest um, at the Mirage on the 12th through the 16th. Um, yeah, I, I wish I, plane I'm, tickets weren't so expensive. Otherwise, I'd I be going with Colin to all of these things and meeting everybody that I want to meet. I know, I know. That's what I, I'm going to meet all my online friends. It's going to be great. Um, but I think I have all your stuff posted in the link. Um, and just um, thanks, or down in the description, I think I have all your links and stuff down there. So, where, what's your Substack called? Um, that's a good question. I think it might just be Sarah Higdon at Substack. Dot Substack. Yeah. It's in the description of this as well. Yeah, if you go to my page, it's the it's but it's transformed to freedom with Sarah Higdon's the name of the 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 Substack, but it's just sarahigdon.substack.com. It's okay. will be in the description of this as well. And my stuff you can find you can just go to my website sarahigdon.com and I have a links page and it has links to every single social media platform that I have. Well, I'm very excited about what you're doing. I'm excited to watch your career take off. Well, and I'll, if you're interested, I'll try and get, I mean, Colin's been pretty busy lately. He's like writing a speech for this conference in Vegas in a few days. But maybe he'll come sit down for your channel too. I, I would love that. Um, yeah. yeah, he's welcome anytime. I'd love to have him on. But um, again, thank you for joining. Uh, stick around here in a second. When I end it, we'll talk. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks so much for talking to me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate um, everything that you've been doing. I, I know we just connected not a long time ago, but um, I, I love seeing what you're putting out and all the stuff that you're raising. So I, I definitely look forward to collaborating and doing stuff more in the future with you. Yeah. And anytime you have feedback too, if I do say something kind of out of line or whatever. Oh, I, I I always like to I hear. Have, I have friends. I have friends that come that come behind the scenes. Like, was this too much? Or they'll ask me mm -hmm. my opinion before they say it. And I'll. I, but I mean, yeah. If if somebody that I know and like says something, I don't put them on blast. I will behind the scenes be like, hey, this might not be the most accurate thing to say. So I definitely will. Okay. Like, right. I, my intention is never to be like extremely offensive or like a horrible person or anything like that but like yeah i draw the line at like <sighs> yeah i get it <laughs> <laughs> all right again thanks thanks for joining thanks so much bye sarah